Welcome back to DC Cinematic Minute, the weekly podcast where we analyze Wonder Woman by five minutes, uh, by five minutes, five minutes at a time, whatever the phrase we're using these days. My name is Nathan. You can find me on all social media at NoClutchNate. And my name is Mark. You can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows. I'm Johnny. You can find me anywhere at Austin Powers Minute. And I'm Amy, and you can find me on social media at Amy underscore geek. Awesome, awesome. Perfect. It was it's it's flawless. Guys, we are almost like really good at this. Um today, this week, we're talking about uh week twelve of Wonder Woman, which consists of minutes fifty-six through sixty. Um and these minutes are going to start with uh Diana and Steve Trevor um entering the war room ward room i don't know what it is it's a it's a, yeah, it's it's, a war room it's a war room um <laughs> the yeah yeah so they enter it uh big discussions happen and then the end of the minute is going to uh close us out with steve and diana arguing about uh the peace talks that were apparently happening in that said room yeah got a lot it's of a, a lot of a lot of a lot of uh kind of you know, we talked a little bit about this being like a, a World War One film, not just a comic book film, but this is like very much like we're watching a, one, a World, War, uh, World War One film with Wonder Woman in it. Oh, boy. A lot of W's in that one. That's a hard one, yeah. <laughs> a lot of W's in that in that sentence. But, you know, um, speaking of Wonder Woman, Amy Ratcliffe, thank you so much for joining us on the show for this episode. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> um everyone knows uh you uh from, especially like with the star wars community uh you wrote women of the galaxy um and so there's there's a lot of amazing women in star wars uh recently the clone wars just ended so ahsoka tano is like hugely popular like everyone's very excited about that um but with uh with our show um we were kind of curious about your thoughts about the women of the dc universe and maybe like how what is uh what is Wonder Woman to you? Yeah, you know, Wonder Woman's a character I think I first met through comics through George Perez's run um in the eighties, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um I mean mm-hmm. I didn't read them till I was, you know, maybe five or six years ago. And immediately I, I then dug into the new fifty two era era and really liked that Wonder Woman too. So by the time the film came out, I was really excited. Um, that was a set I got to visit through my role in Nerdist at the time and, you know, got to walk through the town of Veld and through the trenches um, where she, before she climbs up the ladder into no man's land and got to climb that ladder. And so I, I have a lot of special connections to the film for that, especially getting to see it, um, those things I saw on set. And I went to the opening night of the film with a group of like, I don't know, 30 to 40 women. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is really exciting and just made it even more special because the film really resonated. I just felt so elated coming out of it and especially everything in the mascara just grabbed my heart anyway. So I'm really excited to be revisiting the movie. No, yeah, absolutely. And we, we talked a lot. I think the first you know, maybe 20 minutes of the movie is like being on the mascara on like the Italian beaches, like everything that they did to kind of be like, okay, well, this is our first time doing a live action Wonder Woman and like her world. And like, we're bringing that to life. And, you know, it's not just about being like setting up 
where she comes from, but like, what does it represent as far as like the aesthetic and like how nature is still part of their environment. So, and I'm glad you have these minutes because that's completely opposite in today's, you know, what we're going to be talking about today. Like it is completely devoid and kind of what Patty Jenkins was trying to do in this one was like, this is the the biggest case of like Wonder, Wonder Woman being a fish out of water. Right. And so, you know, when in the beginning of the movie, they have like the throne room that Queen Hippolyta's in. And it's like, it's, it's nature meets like order. And this is where all the Amazons, they, they meet here or not Themyscarians and Amazons. And they, they meet here and they, they can talk things out. But here, this is a war room. And this is something that in the, in real life, we see this way too often rooms like this that exist purely for this kind of machination machinery uh that is war and um it, it's like i guess starting right off the off the bat here um for minutes 56 is um this war room that diana finds herself in that it's divided it's a cold room but it's also very loud and chaotic um and it's very different from from what the mascara was for her and if everyone just seems to be offended that she's even there. Yeah, going to that male-dominated space after what we had seen of the mascara and the way that the Amazons worked together, even in kind of a war council, so to speak, like just such a drastic difference of how dismissive everyone is of Diana. It's really stuffy, too. It's like um, you go from seeing this like fluid conversation with the Amazons to this stuffy um, parliamentary procedure, like mm-hmm. you have to follow so your rigid. paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost like um, uh, it's like war can't end for them. Cause if they, if, you know, if we were to actually have like peace talks and like the coming of peace and it's like, it almost feels like this room, they, they can't enjoy it anymore. Like they can't use it for what it's meant for. They can't have these talk. Like there's something that's so like disgustingly, like you guys enjoy this. Like this seems like what you guys want to do every day is come into this room and talk over each other and make your points across. And it's like, it's all just for this sustainability of keeping this work going. But then you're like, Oh, but you know, we could introduce this armistice. It's all very gross. And, um, there's another thing that Patty wrote in the Art of book, which was talking about the difference between Themyscira and and here in, in Parliament, was that every, in Themyscira, they know each other. When one of them dies, especially when the Germans show up on the beaches, they know who that is. They know who gets shot. They know, you know who's a casualty of war. Here, during World War I, and there's a character at the end of this five minutes that we'll talk about specifically, but they don't know every single soldier who they send out there to go fight on the front lines. That's completely anonymous. And to them is just moving pieces, mm-hmm. you know, in their game. And and that's, what's even more disgusting about it all is that they can have these conversations and just argue, but it's like, you're arguing about the death of, of millions and millions of people that you don't know their name whatsoever. You know, it's, it's insane. They're just playing numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Even um, Sir Patrick Morgan, David Thewlis, 
introduced in this minute here um, is our first look at uh, Ares, obviously. But he's playing Sir Patrick Morgan. Uh, he's a completely fi- fictional character. I tried doing some research on him. Um, just supposed to be representing what most people were during that time. People who were for the armistice, they were trying to push it. So he's based on photographs of you know, board members and stuff like that, but he's a completely fictional character, just kind of like a conglomerate of all those resources put together. Um, and it's that kind of thing where it's like, even if the character is fictional, he's still representing what many of them were like. And it was just, there's just more of them doing the same thing, which is just arguing and, and playing this, this literal war game mm-hmm. because it, it ends up sustaining their economy and stuff like that. This complete and, and just just weird stuff. Um, would would but, would would arrogance be a good word to uh, pretty much just describe the the tone of this room? I know that we were saying it's stuffy and yeah, just cra- you know, it's crappy. <laughs> but is there an yeah. is there an arrogance factor with uh, Sir Sir Morgan Pat- Patrick? What was his name? <laughs> Sir Patrick Morgan. <laughs> Sir Patrick Morgan. Uh, not to be confused with Captain Morgan. Everybody's favorite <laughs> drink. Um, so, like, do you think um, arrogance is uh, considered a tone for, for these men, these uh, high-ranking military officers, or is it more so of just um, should we actually look to see historically uh, what, you know, like um, the UK was uh, kind of just like, I guess, amassing. Yeah, the, the, it's all like the armistice talks. I, I was, I was, I'm trying to figure out if arrogance... Uh, for man is like what we should be attributing to all of these characters. And I think that's certainly a huge part of it, that room. And then a little bit later, as we talk, it's just, everyone exudes like such uh, hubris. And so such an insistence that their way is the only way, even Patrick Morgan, even though at this point we see him fighting for peace, Mm -hmm. it's just, it doesn't seem like there's any give and take. And they're so dismissive of, somebody who doesn't look like them coming in with different ideas like that's is the ultimate just like no we know what's right you you girl you go away yeah Uh, how dare you even talk to us so i think that's definitely a play in this room hubris was the word that i was trying i was dancing around so you definitely (laughs) gave me that one volleyed it for you well i mean like um at this point the women are fighting for suffrage so for her to just like casually walk into the room it's flying into the face of everything that they've been doing up until now it's like the if women have the ability to vote they're going to have more of a voice which is terrifying to this entire room yeah why are they so offended that's my thing like so it's the world they're threatened they're threatened that they're their structure is going to change, that they are somehow going to become less irrelevant. Stupid. Uh, if they have more voices in the room, it's really stupid. <laughs> and that and that <laughs> continues to happen today because, like, even, like, I must, I, I won't assume for you guys, but I, I, too, sometimes can walk into a place and be like, why are they just so upset that I'm here, you know? And so, like, that, I, that's, that feeling is offensive to, to me and I'm just, I guess I'll assume for you guys as well, right? Like you've probably been in a scenario like that where it's like, why are you even upset? Because that upsets me now. Be like, I'm just trying to buy some eggs, okay? <laughs> yeah. Why are you booing me? I'm right. <laughs> I'm just trying to pay for gas. Why are you upset? I'm here. I mean, I've ex- 
experienced that in fandom a lot to be sure like that somehow my somehow my being in the space is I don't, I don't know offensive to someone and and it's just it's ridiculous I had a rant about this with the a fellow minute by minute community like a couple days ago about how uh the toxic masculine gatekeeping of fandoms how it hurts the fandom itself <laughs> and not really anything else at that point because you're saying that you have to know everything about everything that background character in scene 64 like way back there you have to know that person's name and backstory it's toxic it's the same thing as like them saying well this woman doesn't know anything why is she in this room oh but then when she knows more than them then it's then it's a laughing like uh you brush it off with a laughter and you won't like um I don't know. It's like you get called out for it and then they're like, oh, I'm just going to eject the whole conversation now instead yeah. of like being, you know what? Maybe I was being an ass. <laughs> um. <laughs> I think the idea just like kind of uh, shutting down someone or something completely when it's like when, when you feel um, that they don't have the correct experience or anything like that. Um, shutting down like inexperience is it, it shouldn't uh, that shouldn't be a thing i mean like you in discussions especially like this you should be able to listen and hear every single opinion and weigh them all out let her speak kind of thing it's just like that's that's how you that's how you just delegate that's what uh, th that's how conversations work it's just so yeah it's how you learn uh, yeah exactly and you know it, it we're not even, are we a little bit closer now in the current year 2020 than what we were 100 years ago depicted in this movie or something? I don't know. Maybe, but it's, it's still, we're still getting pissed off and we're still having this discussion. So, ridiculous. <laughs> there is, I think there was a line from Diana earlier, right? Isn't she, she said that Themyscarans were um, a, a bridge to a closer understanding of, of, you know, where they needed to be as better people and and i think that uh that arrogance to learn that's that's probably the the key to it all because uh they they choose not to learn and we and yeah you're right that to this day is still an issue people refuse to learn that almost as if they they know they've learned everything already and there's nothing left to it's learn because knowledge is the threat to superiority okay all right lexley right <laughs> Well, I mean, it is though. No, like, yeah, you're actually, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. right. That's, you're one hundred percent right. And then that's the argument of is Lex Luthor right? But uh, it's a different story. Um, yeah, it's like why can't why can't where is the evolutionary process for human beings to just not have that mindset, uh, hard headedness, or pride? Even I guess negative pride sorry yeah yeah i agree because I, I do think you know we have made valuable progress right especially mm -hmm. when it comes to civil rights and, and women's rights and we shouldn't discount that but there's still so much more that it's still even a conversation i guess is where i get hung up these days like why yeah do we still have some of these like rooted misconceptions um and why why is <laughs> it yeah. still a thing yeah yeah exactly it's it makes you want to bang your head against the desk and scream into the heavens <laughs> yeah, which which um which brings us to our next scene because after you know after they reconvene um from you know this war room and they and they meet outside uh, that's when George Barnes who um, Steve Trevor was trying to meet with uh, he's trying to get 
Dr. Poison's green book over to him. Um, Nicholas Blatt, by the way, who plays him. Um, but they meet here and he's like, he comes killer in. Killer mustache. Like, Hang on, Mark. Killer, <laughs> killer <laughs> mustache. He looks nothing like that in real life. It's an amazing hair and makeup job that they do with, with, with him. It's, I was like trying to look him up and I kept going, is that him? Is this, is this, this guy? Wait. Is that the guy who was also in Harry Potter later as somebody in the Ministry of Magic who, like, Ron takes the polyjuice potion to Oh, yeah, 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 it's, yes, It yes, is, okay. Yes! <laughs> so I'm like, oh that's what I recognize. I don't know the actor's name, but I'm like, I just saw him, I feel like, in Harry Potter. He just blew Nate's mind. Tough, yeah, tough scene. Yes. Yeah. He's also in. He's re. He's also casted again in Wonder Woman 1984. But his his character is is noted as cringy gala guest. So I'll be looking forward to seeing. <laughs> oh boy, cringy oh, gala no. guest. So what's going to happen in 1984 when there's a gala and someone's got to be acting? Just it's, get the guy who can be done up with all kinds of makeup. That'll yeah. be great. So that's um, that, that mustache. I mean, like so. It's a style thing, and you know, early at this time. But like, do you think they? Um, oh, he's styling, all right. Yeah. Do you think? But do you think he knows that? Do you think he <laughs> looks in the mirror and he's like, "Yeah, like I'm, I oh, got yeah. this." Yeah. And he's like, "That's, I know, I look good." Or what was that line in Star Trek where the, where Donna Choi was like, "It's just an affectation." That all the guys were like, "No, and it's not an affectation." Like, they don't want to admit it. You know what? When they were talking about the beard. Yeah, because Riker oh, grows yeah. a beard, and okay, yeah. that's Star Trek. Then, Enough of that. Hey, Data grows a beard or synthesizes a beard. Synthesizes. Oh, that's right. He has like a goatee, right? No, he has the full one. It was like the episode the after one, oh, he was doing he was doing a Riker. He was like, yeah, check it out. I, I don't know how I did this, but you know, I. <laughs> of course, I did because I'm Data and I'm brilliant. What did he do? It's like did a status he... symbol at that point. Did he replicate human hair and put it on? <laughs> they have a lot of great technology oh my so obviously a a fantastic use for it is to be like you know what it's time for me to try facial hair yeah (laughs) though i will say in like this case i think that this gentleman somebody at one point gave him a single compliment on the mustache and he's like that's just it yeah i look great and i mean they do the war they they do the 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 color in his in his mustache how it's like white on the ends and then red under his nose it's just it's a solid mustache that is some solid makeup hair and makeup it's a really good job i really enjoy it like this if you're gonna dress up a character like mm-hmm. that and he's gonna piercing blue this, eyes wow yeah yeah it's something i always appreciate and it stands out more in these kinds of films right where you do have some pretty more like more extreme makeup and stylings and prosthetics but then also they do the little things right, like this pr- perfectly groomed mustache that fits mm-hmm. in with the character. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just think it really shows their attention to uh, detail. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I guess because it has like, you know, because Patty wanted to do kind of, it's it's a comic book version of World War One, so there is a fantastical element to it. But like, I guess it's because of that, that this scene, and maybe this whole five minutes really, but it really does feel like, it feels more Harry Potter esque, you know, with like, especially with the 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 actors in it. You also got David Thewlis, uh, obviously right. can't not think about Harry Potter, and then Doctor Poison's Green Book. I'm just like, that looks like something I would want to have 
like on a bookshelf for like, like your dark arts yeah studies. like along yeah. with my tom marvolo <laughs> riddle diary you know like it's it just seems like oh this is really nice nicely designed notebook you know i would want to have that um so it's it's it has that right blend of you know they they actually brought in military advisors to to dress up these the war rooms and then the other room we're going to be in towards the end of the five minutes but they had accuracy and and trying to be like authentic as possible but also they they don't try to subtract the comic book world kind of Mm -hmm. perspective that sometimes people Mm -hmm. can try to separate themselves too much from but you know she finds the right balance between it's a world war one film and it's a comic book wonder woman movie at the same time so you know it's the right blend of that Mm -hmm. um Say I really wish I had like my my interview notes on this computer because when we were on the set we talked to the costume designer Lindy Hemming and she talked a lot about that like right trying to walk that line between hey this is comic but also this is a period piece and yeah. people kind of know the fashions of this era and we have to really be cautious of making it believable but also still a little fantastical and she it's just something at least on the I mean all around but for sure on the costuming side they put a lot of thought into um, figuring out yeah i mean and i i can definitely see the um fantastical element like keeping with like comic book-esque in period piece specifically in here because i mean every character if from my opinion if i were to take a look back into a past window of this scene or whatever would be happening in this kind of sense i would assume that uh most of these men that are in this building are dressed very similar dark suit dark tie white shirt trench coat dark hat like steve trevor um but it seems like steve is dressed significantly different than everybody else in this room and his color tone it seems just like it 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 seems to pop and that's what i mean by like the comic book look of it there's like a little bit of a blue hue uh, to everything, but s- seeing Steve and Diana stand next to each other, their 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 hats um, kind of match the color. But also with like Steve's suit compared to his trench coat, it it's not just like a dark blob. You know, it doesn't look just like a man in a crowd. And you can see that with everybody. I mean, you got uh, the military guy. He's got his suit. There's colors on it. Uh, Diana's very posh with her very slick. Uh, rounded hat and I'm upset you haven't talked about her eyebrows yet but that's just oh my gosh I could talk about her this woman's eyebrows for days you kidding (laughs) um but it just seems like I can see these costumes popping in the sense of a comic book especially Mm -hmm. with this sea of all these just dark suits and old men yeah absolutely and you know like like I keep saying it but it's like Steve Trevor is that above average Mm-hmm. man in in the in the sea of other the other guys in, yeah. in the story so i will say in so many ways yeah exactly. right <laughs> um not a fan of this collar though what is that going on what are these rounded half circle half oval thing what what the hell you're talking about um oh for c trevor or yeah, like the no, other no, no 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 the the other guy's collar that's that's awesome <laughs> steve trevor's collar is atrocious in my opinion i don't like that cut I it didn't even like know that was a collar. Yeah, but, but like worse. And no, Mandarin yeah, colors are cool. Mandarin colors are cool, but I, I, this one is a little bit, it's, it's high. It's I don't like high. that. I don't mind the height. It's just the roundedness of it. What's going on? <laughs> What's going on? 
Yeah, but I, I do like, and then he's got his, um, he's got another watch, I'm guessing, like another pocket watch. So he, he has his father's watch, which is pocket watch, which is now put on a, a wrist wrap. Um, but, but maybe he put it back in a pocket watch for this setting. Yeah. Oh, it's interchangeable? It. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it is interchangeable. Like it is just a pocket yeah. watch put on a band. But yeah. um, so Like those Lego it. watches you could get. But it's like if, if he's in the field, he's wearing it like a watch. But if he's in the office, he wears it like a pocket watch. Yeah, they could. They, they could oh, I like that. It's modular. And that makes practical sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's how we need to get back to take your Apple Watch off the band. And put it and as a pocket watch. And now it's a That's pocket good. Apple Watch. Okay, Not at all. So that <laughs> might make me get one. Uh, wait, hang on, hang on. Let's. Are we attaching like a chain to this thing? What's yes. The, is it a chain or is it got to be like something crazy that Apple's got to develop? Oh, you can you can switch it out just like your Apple bands, but and then like the technology bands. will progress. So you have some options, yeah. yeah. Where it's now, it's just the Apple Watch charger. It just wraps around it, and so you can. That's that's, also that's a cord. For I think it. that's actually the better idea, Marky. You are <laughs> uh, intellectual property. It. You guys cannot sue DC Cinematic Minute. You gotta ask for it. <laughs> and you know, if you if you get the the um, cell phone plan for the watch, then you can just use it as your phone. Now. Are you gonna you pick your pocket pocket iWatch watch out and, and like hold it up to your face? Watch. That's weird. Apple, call me. <laughs> oh What's God. This? Uh, Steve Apple, thank you. Um, you oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> It all came together so quickly. It's remarkable. <laughs> um, That's what happens here. Uh, so, anyways, let's uh, let's move on. Okay, um, do you guys want to talk about? Uh, <laughs> do you guys want to talk about Ares uh, seeing Wonder Woman here? Is that like, is it weird that he's because he he's obviously like, oh yeah, he knows him off guard. He, he's like, wait a minute, he knows. Wait it's weird. Sec. It's fun rewatching it because obviously the first scene, the first time watching it, I had no idea who this guy was. You know, um, yeah. So like seeing things now with the second viewing is very cool to look at the facial expressions, and like when he does begin to stammer as she is making herself present in that uh, war room, that choice to like completely lose track of what you are saying because you are so distracted by what is in front of you i absolutely love that that is a, a mannerism that i like gravitate towards extremely like the 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 idea of someone just being so distracted that everything is just completely lost and be able to like kind of pick yourself back up and just be like uh, yeah okay well we'll end and then like the stammering it's just like such a good mannerism to me i don't know i like that like nervousness that un- uneasiness in in, a, in an actor yeah well, and then i wonder if you all think like after that moment where he is clearly like oh, i did not see this one coming <laughs> that he kind of flips it and he's like it, because he's Aries, is like, well, now that she is here though how can i use this to my advantage how can i ingratiate myself with her like how can I, I feel like he's very quick to react in a way that furthers his manipulous, uh, manipulous, what? His evil plan. <laughs> manipulous. Manipulous wow. plan. Writing it's it down fine. for an episode title. Made a new word today. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I get confused as to why, like, I guess I never really thought about it until you start breaking things down of, if he recognizes her, why the heck can't she recognize him? 
And I get that maybe it's a godlike uh, suppression of like your identity so you can assimilate into mm-hmm. human society because they do that a lot. Mm. But I, it's still weird because if she's a demigod, you should be able to see through that. And dark side of the forest clouds everything, Johnny. Yes, exactly. I, you know, yeah. I'm looking at this going, he reminds me of someone else. He reminds me of the Sheev man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, which is fun. I, I, that's, I think that's, oh, geez. I feel like that's a even larger that's conversation. That's a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yes, I to answer your question, Amy, I definitely do 100% believe that he switched up his motive plan, whatever it was, after seeing Diana here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Johnny, I don't think, uh, Diana would be able to, no, see, that's a thing. I don't know if that's a power for other gods to, like, recognize other gods. It seemed like it would be, right? You would, you mm-hmm. would kind of know that, like, hey, if I'm Apollo messing around with humans, um, and then there's, like, a goat that's just, like, following me around, you'd probably be like, hey, Zeus, all right, come on, like, <laughs> show yourself. Like, I feel like that is, like, a, a thing Mm-hmm. That has been done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what that power is called. Precognition? No. Uh, that's seen mm, familiarity. Well, I don't know. But um, <laughs> no, I don't think uh, Diana has seen it. Maybe because she's not looking for that kind of thing. That's one thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's. I mean, like, it's just like the she is focused on peace and war and everything. And I don't think she's really trying to pinpoint. That's Ares. I think she expects Ares to be on the battlefield right now. Like, like killing people. Like, I guess that's true because yeah. he's, right. fighting, he's fighting for peace right now. Yeah. And she's like, oh, this guy can't be it because yeah. he's fighting for peace and Ares would never do that. Little does she know it's part of the grand scheme. Yeah. <laughs> so, Which is incredible. That's, right. that's, in, in, that, that's incredible. It's like, you know, Ares is, if he were a musician and it's like all these years of him practicing this instrument and then Wonder Woman comes in and, and it's like he's got this full orchestra or orchestra going on. And he's like, dude, it's this mass production. And he's just like, oh, like you're here to like you're seeing everything I've been doing. Like this is it. And like now he's just kind of like astonished that she's actually here to see it. And he's like, look at all of this. This is at this point in 1918. This is like this is the height of it so far. Like everything I've done to to stoke the flames of, of man is, yeah. is at this level. And he, so he's kind of be like, okay, first of all, there is a woman in here and she's very confident. And, and so she's, he's gotta be like, okay, this has to be her. And I feel like it also tracks that she wouldn't recognize him given, you know, that you, you pointed out, like he is there to make peace. But when she makes the comment about, you know, generals fight alongside their, uh, on, on Themyscira, generals aren't just at their desks um, mm-hmm. or having arguments in a chamber. They're on the ground so that she wouldn't expect Ares to have pulled away and not be, you know, to be in this kind of puppeteering position rather than wielding weapon of choice, whatever, on, on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that really is what, um, what brings us to our next scene because we, we do get a quick clip of general ludendorff and dr poison experimenting with those gases and like we talked about that makes way more sense now with world war one than doing it with world war two um with dr poison because 
you know, that's how Wonder Woman started with, and it was based in World War II. But like the the, the amount of gas that was used in World War One and and the casualties and all that is it, like such a great call from the team to be like, hey, you know what? What if we we do the film, but instead we do it based in World War One? Mm-hmm. Um, but but Doctor Poison and General Ludendorff. They are on the battlefield. They they are like you know General Ludendorff is trying to do the spring offensive. It didn't work out, um, and so him and Doctor Poison they go to the Ottoman Empire. They start to work on on new new gases there, and then they come back to I think it's Belgium that that we're going to be coming to in, in the next uh, section of the of the story, um, and so they you know yeah they're doing da- violent things, but like the the politicians here are still just in london they're not on the front lines whatsoever um to do what i think um the next character is but johnny did you you looking up facts over there oh yeah well i mean it's still like it's hard to wrap anybody's brain around but um because they have they don't have the full scope of casualties due to this gas that she's creating but they estimated it at just about 500,000 casualties just in gas alone um whoa yeah and they and that's like conservative because they really couldn't tell and it overwhelmed the um the battlefield medicine um and it was it got so bad, and especially the after effects got so bad, because even if you were exposed to it and you didn't die, there's still, like, long-term health issues mm-hmm. with this gas um, that the the international community decided to draw up the Geneva Gas Protocol of 1925 so that this wouldn't be a thing anymore. Yeah, absolutely perfect scenario to... to- have a villain like dr poison in to to really i guess in a weird way just put a face and a name and as far as a comic book movie like yeah this is like the instrument of of all this she's the personification of modern warfare for exactly. World War exactly yeah. that's the best way to put it yes Absolutely. yeah um but th- this new gas that they're going to be talking about is now hydrogen based instead of sulfur which I guess is why the uh, Doctor Poison is able to like ignite it, like she's able to set it on fire. And I guess if you can electrify the hydrogen particles, they would then um, it would just ignite instead of sulfur not being able to do that. Um, but here's where we enter a a new room uh, with uh, where they are going to uh, debrief on the notes from Doctor Poison, and this is where we're going to see James uh, Cosmo. I don't know if you guys remember him, but he's been in a lot of other movies like uh, I think Highlander. And then the one I know him from the most is Jor Mormont from Game of Thrones. I don't mm-hmm. know if you, yes. if you yeah. guys remember him. <laughs> yeah, sir. What do you mean? Yes, yeah, Sir Jor. Are you kidding? People, I don't know. There's people who don't watch Game of Thrones, unfortunately. There's some for people them. who forgot about Game of Thrones. Uh, and so, but, Sir <laughs> Batman. Truly. Mark, he's Batman now. What for? You know, oh no, the other Jor, his son was Jorah Mormont. Oh, well, are we? Am yes. I confusing someone? He, Ian, his yeah, dad. This is his dad. His dad. Okay, from the Night the Squatch. Night. Yes. Okay. Yeah, this is the one who gives John uh, half hand or or what was it? I forget the. It's like a one and a half handed sword. Whatever. Sword that he, anyways, Game of Thrones <laughs> not here. <laughs> 
They were talking about still mythology, but not here. Yeah. <laughs> I could talk about Game of Thrones. Anyways, James Cosmo, he's here. He's playing uh, an actual historical character um, on this side of the war. His name is Douglas Haig. Is uh, the Earl, and he is also um, he had a nickname during World War One, his in which they called him Butcher Haig um, because. Jesus. When That's we, not positive. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, we're is, like, yikes. <laughs> he is not a good person. And uh, this is what we talk about when we're talking about, like, you know, this it's kind of not good people on either side of things. And he, although he did kind of help um, Admiral Falk, who would then later get the armistice of 1918 finally signed, um, Douglas Haig w- was very much kind of like the Ludendorff of. of the other side he was a butcher he didn't care for the soldiers and there's there's a line here where he says that's what soldiers do they go out and die and like he didn't care like his thing was whatever it takes to win the war mm-hmm. and so that's why he was n- as long as-, as i don't have to give my life exactly right so when we talk about like how the war rooms continue and they don't you know to them all the soldiers that go out there are anonymous to them they don't know their names they don't care he is one of those guys who didn't, they were just numbers. They just go out there and, okay, how many men do I need to go out there and, and to fall on that sword for, for us? He is, he is one of those guys. Um, with that being said, unfortunately, very successful person during the war. Um, he got a lot of things accomplished. He also helped when he was the commanding uh, officer for the, the spring offensive in which he beat General Ludendorff. Um, which then got closer to signing the armistice, getting Germany to sign the armistice, and then two years later, the Treaty of Versailles. So, uh, welcome back to yeah. World War One Minute with your host <laughs> Nate, This where is he... what you've always wanted. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I'm, I mean, well, I'll shelf that one. <laughs> not a good person, um, and he's also yeah, he's not the best person in the world to Diana uh, at all. He's completely just. But I think it's valuable that we get to see that they're not good people on both sides. Yeah. Right. And seeing um, um, Steve Trevor realize that in this room is the biggest tell of them all. Like he is. And and again, he's an American uh, that is here doing his job. And his job is to be a spy, to help, uh, you know, and, and all that stuff. But when he is faced with these decisions that these these men are making with, you know, the the severe lack of um, consideration for soldiers or anything like that, and Steve is a soldier where he's like, "Hey, uh, boy, I'm standing in this room and I'm hearing you guys say this, but the guys out in the field they don't get to hear it, and they're still doing their best. So where is the disconnect here?" And like, I think you really see it very well at like uh, four, like right at the four minute mark, a um, few seconds in, where he's just. Speechless, and I mean, Steve is—he's—he's uh, he's trying to take everything that they're saying in, and it's just like, why aren't we? Why aren't we working? Like, why aren't we doing the right thing? And it's very upsetting. But again, seeing Steve Trevor, this soldier, s- seeing the—you know—his higher ups make these decisions, it's very uh, defeating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of red tape here. Mm-hmm. By the way, this—I want this suit. So. I, I, the collar, it's fine. Like, I'll, 
I'll deal with the collar. But that suit, I yeah, I'll I work just, with it. Yeah, I'll work yeah. with it. But dang, look at that vest. Are you kidding? Yeah. One, two, it three, four, nice. five, six very button nice vest. Woo! <laughs> dang. Yeah, but you know, while Steve Trevor is being sidelined, this is where we get. This is where we get Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, you know, even though at this point we haven't seen her do her like full reveal in the costume and have that kind of just incredible moment, but she is so pure in the character trying to, you know, despite Steve like being like in this kind of awkward position for him where he's like, this is kind of how things are, Diana, like you need mm-hmm. to stop. So like, please, please no. Um, she she stands up and, and maybe that's part of like an unawareness of just what the world is. It's something I certainly wish... I could do more of it in situations like that. It's just, she's like, let me just lay this on the table for you. One, smarter than all of you. And I know she, it's Diana, so she doesn't mean it as a dig. But when she's like, surely someone else in this room could have identified these languages, the way she phrases it, it's like, yeah, you would think. But she's so earnest about it that she doesn't mean that in a sarcastic way, which I love. Yeah. And then she just goes on to just, it's just rips into them in an elegant yeah, i'm like yes. they deserve it mm-hmm. they need someone but then the frustration of does anybody register that one because they're who they are that arrogance that hubris but two because it's coming from a woman yeah and i think that's what makes it so what makes the scene so enjoyable for me is that you know it outside of being wonder woman like it's still this person asking these questions or, or you know making calling them out on it and you can really take it out of context and be like, this is literally, you have to like grab them by the arms and like shake them and like, what are you doing? And so like with the way Gal is able to like reach this, this level of intensity with, with Diana, it's like you enjoy it so much, even if she wasn't playing Wonder Woman, you know, mm-hmm. just like it just the scenario itself is, is so good. It, it, the way it plays out is, is so well done. And even like, outside you know when she then keeps that intensity with steve trevor and she's like you know berating him on his inaction it's like it's it's so magnetic or something yeah no you're absolutely right i do want to i I would be very upset with myself if i didn't point this out but as diana um starts to speak up in the room um and steve is like coming up behind her trying to you know stop it and all this stuff and and whatnot um the, the the two of them acting together as Steve is trying to, like, pull Diana off of these guys and then like everything like watch him grab her and and her shooing his hands away and them getting so frustrated with each other is I'm amazed at the the two both of their acting right now I mean like it it's just insane um how 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 forceful yet how restricting Steve is trying to be on Diana and she's just pushing him away with anger and I don't know it's I'm amazed at this particular few uh, seconds right here between the two of them arguing this is I think one of the best things I've seen in this movie so far I guess my thing about this scene that would be the most powerful is like one Diana is not human Mm mm-hmm um right. two two so one she's she's not human two she's a woman three um she has no knowledge of this modern like war this modern world that she stepped into mm-hmm. yet she's going to the mat 
for people she doesn't know because yeah. that's the right thing to do. Yeah. And the people that she's fighting is the fellow men of the human race. They're not willing to fight for their own species. Mm-hmm. You're willing to, for whatever it takes, I will step on, kick, fight for superiority to say, I'm making more money than you, to say, I have a better standing in society than you instead of just being a human. And mm-hmm. she is more human than anybody in that room. Yeah. Her compassion here, I think that's so well put because it's her, like her compassion is something about this character in any iteration that that I've read or in these movies I've seen. It's just a strong point and it's a trait in, in still in, in life and in humanity. People can view as a weakness. People view kindness as... Uh, being kind of naive and just silly about the world when being kind and compassionate, I think is one of the strongest things we can do as people. And to watch her, like, as you say, go to the mat and stand up for humanity against these men who are like, no, nah, they're, they're in this war. They're going to die. That's what soldiers do. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's really powerful. I, I, yeah. I do think that compassion is um, the best trait for Wonder Woman um, in any, like that is, I think, just the backbone of that character. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I think that this is a really powerful, like compassion is a really powerful trait to show in a superhero, not just for women, but for anybody. Mm-hmm. Because if you're reading it and you're somebody who is a very empathetic person, somebody who kind of has been told their entire life that they're too nice or um, they are too accommodating, it's a great, place to look for validation of I'm not doing the wrong thing mm-hmm. um, I'm yeah. just not being seen in the full capacity of compassion because these people don't understand it yeah and that's so. on them yeah yeah and then you know it, that's what another thing um, like Patty Jenkins was trying to talk about with you know the the concept of Aries because she she claims she states there's no villain in this movie there really is no villain in this movie. It's just this is everything just laid out. This is how the world is, and then Diana's going to think the you know the world works one way, and then she's going to get this sudden realization that the world is actually set in this in this way that it is, and so it's then okay. Well, what do you then choose once you have that realization? And then that's what defines Wonder Woman. But for the the audience, that's what Patty Jenkins wants people to realize is. This is how things are. What is now your choice? Because now you've, you're shown someone who is not going to accept the way things are and give up. And then, you know, this is Wonder Woman. She makes a decision at the end of the film in the climax. And, and, and that's, what, that's what Patty Jenkins wants this film to be for the people who watch it. And the people who grow up reading Wonder Woman comic books or, or you know, uh, kids, you know, like being inspired by comic books and superheroes. This is this is how you, uh, I guess, teach so that they learn and we don't end up in our old ways. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, I say that because that's like that's the goal we we try to reach for, right? Um, and that's what these stories should be. That's 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 at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to teach people. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Um, so going back to to. Um, uh, Diana's frustration with all of this it's incredible how it's able to 
how she's able to keep that uh, throughout all of this. And I mean, f- even more so in more into the movie, um, how it's just the frustration of war and the frustration of things not going right um, and her having to uh, do it her on her own. You know what I mean? Maybe not do it on mm-hmm. her own, but like get her hands dirty like we do see when they uh, go to Germany. Um, and it's just like that frustration that we saw the, for the first time in this room just carried over into eventually physical frustration and anger maybe um, that it's just so fun to just track it throughout this entire movie and then at the end even more of a twist on it so yeah um, but we're reaching the end of our of our five minute clip here but bef- you know as we start to wrap up Amy is there um, any notes that you still had that you wanted to, to talk about no, just kind of an overall, I think, you know, it's easy when I think back on this film to go to No Man's Land, to go to some of those more just iconic scenes that revisiting this was was lovely because it's so important. It's kind of her first time confronting um, other other stubborn humans <laughs> besides Steve, but it's just such a key moment for her character and when she kind of sees uh, the failings of humanity and, and kind of, you know, sees that really both sides uh, have their own problems and she stands up and she doesn't get shushed. She doesn't let herself be shushed. And uh, that's just an important, I mean, a message for, for women in general. Um, even if they're not, you know, fighting against a war council, just like speak your peace. And, and um, it's just such a, it's just a powerful, like more powerful than I remembered to go back and rewatch the, these few scenes. They really yeah. are. These these few scenes are extremely powerful. I have a little bit of a question. Um, so with Diana seeing the failures of man and not wanting to act and all the, the war and destruction and everything like that, the, 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 uh, the presence of Ares, um, why isn't Diana like getting... Why is she still with Steve? Why isn't she like looking at Steve and being like, "Look, you're not any different." Like, come on, man. Is it because that he is? is does she? What does she see different in Steve other than the people in the war room? I mean, because obviously he was just, you know, saying yes sir and all this stuff. And when they were telling him no, he was like, "Yeah, you're right." She's obviously angry here, and they do end up going, you know, against the orders and everything. But why wasn't it just like? blatantly diana's realization with steve like yeah you're just another man i i i don't want to spoil too much but there is like should i have asked that question later you might it might be answered in next week's episode i'm just saying (laughs) (laughs) that like because the the five minute clip is going to end with them on on these steps here and Mm -hmm. and steve is getting ready to talk and I promise you, you're probably going to explain it. Yeah. Um, I feel like I do remember something a little bit, but I feel like it was just more of a, um, I feel like I'm remembering more of just a, a defiance uh, notion instead of a um, heroic and doing the right thing kind of thing. It was more about defiance, I feel like I remember. But um, I'll, I'll see if it's the same. Yeah, because next week we're going to be talking about um, this scene that they're on the steps and you know what happens after that. But there's also... Um, it's, there's an extended scene, this scene of them on the steps, it was a little bit longer and there's actually some stuff in there that I thought kind of adds to his, his character or their relationship a bit of like what kind of person she is versus what kind of person he is. Mm -hmm. Um, is there a deleted scene? 
No, it's just an extension. Oh, okay. Of it. Do they do deleted extension? scenes anymore? Is that a thing? I feel like, Mark, honestly, so this is, how many years are we doing of this? How many movies? Uh, did, I don't, we never done like deleted scene things. Um, they're not deleted scenes, they're extended cuts at this right? point. That's, I feel like, I mean, <laughs> I think that's a thing. We've never mentioned deleted scenes, Mark, in any of these movies that we've done. There's only there's really only one deleted scene in this movie, and that's the the Etta Candy uh, 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 after credit scene. They they cut that out and just put it on the DVD. And they it was supposed to be after the credits played, leads into Justice League. We'll get into it, <laughs> but okay. you know that was the only thing that they cut out uh, completely. Uh, but no, there are extended scenes, and uh, if you get the DVD of Wonder Woman, there's a blooper reel, which I think is oh my really- god, the blooper reel is probably I cried laughing. It's great. It should have been put in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like roll it with the credits at the end. Just all the bloopers. It would have yeah. been great. It's like it's any 1990s it. movie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, cool. Well, with all that said, we're going to go ahead and wrap up for today. Amy Ratcliffe, thank you so much for joining us this week to talk about Wonder Woman. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, just I guess before we, we wrap up, is that you want to plug anything else or let people know where they can find you, what, you, what you're working on? Um, I will just let people know. Um, first of all, by the way, thank you for having me again. It's um, I get to talk about a lot of Star Wars stuff on podcasts, but almost never anything else. This was wonderful. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Word. I love Star Wars, but but change is great. Yep. Um, but then going back to Star Wars, um, please do keep an eye on on my social media channels, Amy underscore Geek, because I have um, a few cool projects related to Star Wars that I will hopefully be in, uh, able to announce soon. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for more content uh, from us, we also do Johnny Does Her Hilarious Austin Powers Minute podcast. Um, I talk about the Godzilla films in Atomic Blast, which is a podcast that goes chapter by chapter talking about the legendary MonsterVerse. Um, So you can find that on Atomic Blast. And um, you can find us on all social media at DCEU Minute, the DC Cinematic Minute Listener Society. We could join guests. We also sell merchandise for you guys to help support the show at, uh, uh, what is it, Public dot com slash user slash you know whatever and with all that said we'll they can check the link for it you can find us on all social media and we'll catch you guys next week for wonder woman 